Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, sanctify us in your truth. Your word is eternal truth. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of every heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Dear Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Being from Pennsylvania, I'm still learning Midwestern terms like ufta. As I look out and see that I'm preaching in front of many pastors, some of whom are instructors at the Bible school and the seminary, I think I'm learning to understand the meaning of the term ufta. (laughs) Pastor Brent Olson once told me how preaching is evaluated at the seminary. He said, uh, your first year, you really need encouragement. So after you preach, we'll say, good job. That was great. Your second year, we'll say, that could use some improvement. And your third year, we'll say, that was terrible. You pay any attention in class at all? (laughs) With that in mind, I want to remind the pastors here, and especially Pastor Lee this morning. This is my first year in seminary. Before I start my message, I want to share a couple of things with you. First, while I will focus on abortion, abortion isn't the sin that plagues our society. It's a sin, one of many sins, of which we're all guilty, and because, we, of, because of which we all need what Jesus did for us on the cross. That's really what my, best, my message is about. It's about Jesus Christ and him crucified And what that means for all of us. He paid for all sin on the cross. Second, abortion isn't just a women's issue. While 100% of abortions are performed on women and girls, 100% of aborted children also have a father. Abortion involves all of us. I didn't always believe that. I once considered myself to be pro-choice and abortion to be a women's issue. But in 2003, my grandfather died of Parkinson's disease. The issue of embryonic stem cell research was being debated. Some claimed embryonic stem cell research could cure diseases like Parkinson's, so I was all for that. But some thought embryonic stem cell research was wrong. So I studied it. I learned that to do embryonic stem cell research, scientists take stem cells from human embryos, killing those embryos. So what? Well, I discovered that at one point in my life, I was an embryo. And if someone had taken that embryo and used it for embryonic stem cell research, they would have killed me. I wouldn't be standing here talking to you right now. These embryos are human beings, too, created in the image of God, and they're being destroyed. I knew it was wrong. As much as my grandfather suffered, and he did, he would never have asked someone else to die for research into his disease. Also, no treatments or cures for any diseases have ever been discovered using embryonic stem cell research. But adult stem cells which they can get from our bodies uh, without harming anyone, have led to treatments and cures for many different diseases. I think it's about 73 now. And on the list is Parkinson's. 
I realize that if you can't justify destroying a person who's in the embryonic stage of development, you can't justify abortion. Unborn children are people created in the image of God. The Lord inspired in me a passion for defending human life. Much of what I'll share with you this morning, I learned over the course of a decade working in the pro-life movement, helping people choose life and helping people who've had abortions find healing in Jesus Christ. Our sermon text this morning is Luke 8, verses 43 through 48. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. When the woman saw that she'd not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had immediately been healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. The theme of my message this morning is crushed by shame, restored by Christ. And I'll be talking about the power of faith in Christ to heal and transform the world. I want to talk about three things. First, who abortion impacts. Second, what impact abortion has. And third, how Jesus heals the wounds left by abortion's impact. So who abortion impacts? 30%. That's the percentage of women in America, including in our churches, who who have at least one abortion by the time they're 45. The majority, 78% of those women, identify as Christians. Many of those women and many men who've lost a child to abortion suffer silently in shame and guilt about what they've done. I've met many, from shattered, weeping teenagers to senior citizens, trembling over the memory of the loss of their aborted child, a memory that's still painfully fresh. Some of these post-abortive people are among my dearest friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. I've spoken with men and women who've been broken and some who've been crushed to the point of spiritual and emotional frailty by the burden they bear. Let me share what I mean when I say abortion isn't just a women's issue. The pain and shame of abortion aren't just felt by the women and girls who have them. In my time at Morningstar, I met many women and girls who had abortions, and I also met many who miraculously chose life despite enormous pressure to abort. According to the Elliott Institute, 88% of post-abortive women say that if just one person had told them, you don't have to have an abortion, you can do this and I will help you, they would have chosen life for their baby. We're all capable of saying that to a friend a cousin, a sister, any woman or girl who confides in us that she's pregnant and considering abortion, just say, you don't have to have an abortion. You can do this. I will help you. And your bulletin is information about help that's available here locally. That's help that's available for women and, and girls who are considering abortion and for men as well. And also for people who've had abortions. Any one of those organizations you can contact 
and they can help you find uh, the help that you need. Please keep the info that's in your bulletin. You never know when you might need it. And remember the words of Proverbs 24, 11 through 12, which are intended for each one of us. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? But who is chiefly responsible to help when the mother of his child is in need? Of course, mainly it's the father of a child, and some fathers do take responsibility. But when the father of a child hands the mother of her child $500 and drops her off alone in the parking lot of an abortion center, is abortion just a women's issue then? When dad tells his 15-year-old daughter that she better have an abortion or he's going to throw her out on the street, is abortion just a women's issue then? When a man physically assaults the mother of his child, trying to force her to have an abortion or to himself induce a miscarriage, is abortion just a women's issue? When Dr. McLeod, he's one of the abortionists at the largest abortion center in Harrisburg, a man who desperately needs our prayer for his conversion, lies to his patient and tells her it's just tissue. It's not a life at this point. Is abortion just a women's issue? Is it just a women's issue when men traffic thousands of women in an illicit trade around the country and in truck stops like those in Mechanicsburg, PA, near Harrisburg, and threaten them with violence or death if they don't have an abortion? Studies show that 50 to 65 percent of abortions in America are coerced. This isn't what she wanted. She felt forced to do it. Will he not repay man according to his work? Some women and girls considering abortion go to their pastor. Would you believe that there are some pastors not like our dear pastor friends, but pastors who are derelict in their duty and like cowards say things to abortion minded women and girls like, well, we don't support abortion, but in your case, it may be the best option. Is abortion just a women's issue when a pastor says that to a pregnant member of his congregation who needs help? Woe be unto the pastors who destroy and scatter the sheep of my flock, saith the Lord. Abortion involves all of us. And that leads me to my second point. What impact abortion has? In our scripture reading, we read from Genesis 1 and, and, and we learned that we're all created in the image of God. Satan enjoys destroying that which has been created in the image of God through abortion. God tells us to be sober in spirit and alert because the devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Lions target the easiest, most defenseless prey they can find. Satan isn't only a liar and the father, the father of lies. He's a professional killer. The most defenseless, the unborn, are his easiest prey. And let me tell you what success he's having with abortion. In Minnesota, 
Over 10,000 unborn children lose their lives to abortion every year. Over 90 percent of those abortions are performed in abortion centers that are located 15 miles from this spot. He's destroying mothers, fathers, and especially unborn children by the thousands right here in our own backyard. 3,287 unborn American children lose their lives to abortion every day. That's 1.2 million every year. That makes abortion by far the leading cause of death in America. You will not hear about this. The second leading cause of death in America kills half that number, heart disease. All forms of cancer combined kill less than half the number that abortion kills. Satan loves this. 60 million people died in World War II. The staggering death toll from that war has impacted the entire world to this day. In the U.S. alone, just this one country, since Roe versus Wade in 1973, 60 million unborn children have lost their lives to abortion. The same number of people who died in the entire world during World War II. And America's abortion death toll is far less than other countries. There are 6.4 million abortions every year in India. In China, it's 13 million per year. I'm sorry, that's not good news. It's probably discouraging to hear. It seems hopeless. Satan is a seasoned, highly experienced adversary not to be taken lightly. But there is good news to share. There's a power far greater than our adversary. The power of faith in Jesus Christ to heal and transform the world is far beyond any power of Satan. And that good news is my third point, how Jesus heals the wounds left by abortion's impact. I'm going to tell you a story. My friend Kelly told me about her abortion. She was single, pregnant, and the baby's father wanted nothing to do with her or a child. She couldn't tell her parents. She was too embarrassed and ashamed. Twenty years after her abortion, she still vividly remembered the bus ride to the abortion center in Pittsburgh. She remembered the credit card she used to pay for it, and she remembered the price she paid right down to the penny. I was one of the first people she ever told. Since her abortion, she'd been married and had two other children. She'd recently told her husband, but hadn't yet told her teenage kids. Sanctity of Life Sunday was coming up, and Kelly was to share her testimony about her abortion and about the forgiveness she'd found in Jesus Christ right in front of everyone at her church. Shame, embarrassment, and fear were stalking her. In our sermon text is a woman who for 12 years was hemorrhaging. We don't know what disease caused her symptoms, but we know that this disease left her bleeding for 12 years. 
Sin is a disease. It's a disease of the soul. We all have something in common with this woman. In her day, women with her symptoms were considered ceremonially unclean. Anyone who touched her was also considered ceremonially unclean. She couldn't go to the temple or participate in festival celebrations. You can imagine that life for her was lonely. Her symptoms would have isolated her from much of society, particularly in a spiritual sense. The emotions she must have felt as she carried this burden for all those years, ashamed to expose her condition, remind me of how my friend Kelly said she felt carrying the burden of her abortion all those years. Loneliness, isolation, shame and guilt haunted her. This woman in our sermon text spent everything she had looking for a cure. Nothing worked. And again, her circumstances remind me of those of post-abortive men and women. There are varying types of coping mechanisms that post-abortive people turn to to try to numb the pain of abortion or to seek deliverance from it. Some turn to drugs and alcohol. Some turn to promiscuity, either in a desperate search for affection and love or to try and give up and just retreat into the depths of their sorrow and numb themselves with more illicit relationships and sin. Still others I've known turn to getting pregnant again at all costs, whether they're married or not, and having more kids, somehow trying to make up for the loss they've suffered in that way. Others even turn to volunteering at pregnancy resource centers like the one where I worked. I can't tell you the number of broken post-abortive women who wanted to volunteer at our centers just so they could pour their heart out to abortion-minded women and girls and maybe in some way talk them out of the abortion that they were considering and somehow that would make up for what they'd done. While that option may sound nicer than the others, even volunteering at a pregnancy center is no substitute for the healing power of Jesus Christ. Nothing else will work when Jesus is what you need. The woman in our sermon text had obviously heard about Jesus and his power to heal. And now Jesus was passing by. But likely suffering in shame and perhaps not the least bit interested in confronting Jesus or his disciples to ask for healing, probably because she uh, didn't want to have to explain her condition of which she was ashamed. She instead worked her way secretly through the crowd, thinking that if she could just touch the edge of his garment, she would be healed. She was desperate. Like the woman in our sermon text who turned to Jesus to be healed, my friend Kelly had quietly turned to Jesus through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the same way, looking for healing. She'd found it. Praise God. Kelly found the healing and forgiveness she needed in Jesus Christ. And as she prepared to speak at her church, what motivated her was not a desire to advertise her sin of abortion for everyone to hear. She knew that likely other women were in need. Other women needed to hear this message and were suffering with a burden. She wanted to tell them that they're not alone and about the healing she'd found in Jesus Christ. 
Kelly was nervous to speak that day, and I remember sitting there watching her hands shaking as she stood. I was nervous for her, too. The woman who touched Jesus' garment knew immediately that she'd been healed. She felt that every burden she'd carried with her was immediately washed away. She was healed. All those years of suffering with that burden, the isolation and shame, were over. Her faith in Christ, believing that he could heal her, was completely justified. And that's exactly what my friend Kelly found in Jesus. But it got a little scary for the woman Jesus healed. As soon as she touched the edge of Jesus' garment, he knew what she'd done. Even before she touched him, he knew who she was. He knew everything about her, everything she'd suffered, and he healed her. At that moment, when she touched him, Jesus stopped and asked, Who is it that touched me? This seemed a strange question to his disciples. He was in the middle of a crowd of people who were all pressing in on him. But one person in that crowd knew exactly why Jesus was asking. She was probably pretty scared. She believed in his power, but now uh, she'd experienced it. Jesus is powerful, and what she'd done had not escaped his attention, despite her best efforts to hide it. He found her out. Her shame and her darkest secret were about to be exposed in front of all those people. Her heart was likely pounding. For her condition to be exposed was the last thing she wanted, and like her, There stood my friend Kelly. Having found forgiveness and healing in Jesus Christ in the midst of shame and sorrow. She'd carried this burden for years and Jesus had taken it away. Still, she would have preferred to keep this between her and Jesus. But now she stood in front of her entire congregation. Her voice was painfully soft and breaking And standing at a microphone in front of all those people, people she'd known since she was a kid. Can you imagine? The woman Jesus healed knew that her attempt to obtain healing from Jesus secretly had failed. Jesus stopped. He knew she'd touched him. She knew she'd been found out. The Bible says she was trembling. She was trembling. I love the way one great commentator puts it. He says, the woman trembled because she had come up and secured healing secretly. Would Jesus scold her? She trembled because her story that she wanted to hide so badly was now about to come out in public after all. I like the way this commentator says it. He says, she is crushed in fear and shame and sinks in a heap before Jesus. That's exactly what she did. The Bible says that she fell down before him and reported to him exactly what she'd done and how she'd been healed. That's what my friend Kelly did. Having no idea if she'd be scolded or how the body of Christ would react, she trembled before them, told them what she'd done, and reported to them the miraculous healing and forgiveness she'd found in Jesus. Having no idea how the congregation would react, Kelly's fears peaked at the moment she finished speaking. In the same 
it was the same with the woman in our sermon text. She'd fallen down, trembling before Jesus, admitted what she'd done and what had happened to her. She had no idea how Jesus would respond, but she knew he's powerful. She had to be frightened. And what did Jesus do? He said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Peace. She hadn't known peace before Jesus. After years of suffering and shame, isolation and disease, Jesus didn't scold her. He healed her and granted her peace. So what happened to Kelly? Having poured her heart out to the body of Christ, confessing her sin and sharing her testimony, she didn't know how they'd react. It started off well. Her pastor came up and gave her a hug and thanked her for her testimony. The pastor spoke about the healing power of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins, even the sin of abortion that's available to everyone because of what Jesus did on the cross. But then something unexpected happened. Kelly's pastor invited any other women in the congregation who'd ever have an abortion to come to the front of the church so everyone could pray for Kelly and for them. And so they could know they aren't alone and that forgiveness is available to them through Christ. I shook my head and thought, man, you don't get it. Post-abortive women don't get up in front of everyone in church like that just because you ask them. They're not going to publicly confess this secret they've kept for years. I thought what that pastor had done was foolish, and I was not optimistic about what would happen next. You know what happened? And that little congregation in Waynesburg, Pennsylvania, a little country town about 50 miles south of Pittsburgh, seven women came forward. And they put their arms around Kelly and stood in front of the congregation and everyone prayed for them. Kelly said she'd never known. She'd never known that these women she knew for many years had had an abortion just like she had. And they didn't know about hers. They didn't know about each other's. Now Kelly and those dear women had experienced the same healing and forgiving power of Jesus Christ as the woman in our sermon text. The power of faith in Christ to heal and transform the world. Maybe you're like Kelly. And as I said, this isn't just about abortion. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. There is none righteous, not even one. So it's appropriate that we close with a hymn that was written by a brother in Christ. Before his conversion, he was guilty of the kidnapping and cruel deaths of many people. John Newton was a slave ship captain guilty of many heinous crimes. But through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he repented of his great sin and like Kelly and the woman Jesus healed, found healing, forgiveness and grace in Jesus Christ. As we sing the closing hymn, please know that no matter what you've done, he already knows. Healing and forgiveness are available to you today 
in Jesus Christ. If there's something with which you are struggling, there's hope and healing available to you that will change you forever. As we sing the final hymn, if you're feeling like Kelly, bruised, heartbroken, maybe ashamed or defeated, remember that he promises us a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And finally, if you're feeling weary, carrying a burden, remember the words of our Lord and Savior who said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me that I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen.